what is the setup here? I mean, who's your boss? God. What? My boss. It's God. I'm an angel. I'm one of the best, but I try. And I make mistakes. Guess he figures the only way I'm going to learn is by mistakes. I'm kind of new at this. Hello. Welcome to Highway to Heaven Revisited. Hosted by Rachel Mayer and Joel Luders. With moderator, Sam Hine. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 15 of everybody's favorite Highway to Heaven related watch along podcast. It's called Highway to Heaven Revisited, and we are broadcasting live from a very special location today. Joel, this is a location uh, related to a certain uh, pocket of your life, so why don't you fill everybody into the details about this particular venue? We're on the rooftop garden of where I work at at Peace Coffee. Not currently a sponsor of this show, but I'm sure they are fans. And we're uh, overlooking beautiful, historic downtown Minneapolis on one side and uh, beautiful, historic South Minneapolis on the other. Nestled very close to the uh, public transportation system of the... Uh, uh, the uh, light rail, the Minnesota light rail. What's it called? <laughs> the mass metro transit light rail system. The, li- the light rail. <laughs> if only I knew someone who was really into trains. Yeah, metro transit light rail. I think it's just called the light rail. It's the blue line and the green line. And then there's the North Star line that goes out to the northern suburbs, right? You have That's to catch all. that one really early in the morning. You know, a friend of mine who worked on a train show uh, might have overslept a certain day when he was supposed to uh, meet at the uh, Target Field station to uh, get on and film a segment for, I don't know, some show. I can't remember the name of it. But um, yeah, <laughs> this guy, he couldn't get up on a Saturday morning and be somewhere at 5 a.m. It was what tough luck for him. What a slacker. This is a very special episode with... Within season one of Highway to Heaven Revisited, we are recording outside today. Because unbeknownst to you, the regular listener, you may not be aware that most of the content for this uh, season one of our podcast was recorded pre-COVID, mostly in 2019. We've been developing this podcast for a good piece of time now, guys. Yeah. And now it is the summer of COVID. It's the summer of COVID, and we're doing our best to just, like, you know, have a good hang. We're being safe. We're being outside. We're way more than six feet apart, and the wind is keeping everything nice and mitigated today. Yep, we're socially distanced, we're outdoors. It's what more could you want? Nothing, nothing at all. The only thing I guess I'd want is a nice hearty discussion about a specific episode of Highway to Heaven Revisited. And maybe a margarita. That might be nice too, right? Indeed. <laughs> totally. Oh, hey, before we get started, let me tell you a little story about my car, guys. Please do, so, yes. So as we've uh, encapsulated for the audience, this is uh, we're deep into the COVID days. This is uh, August 1st of 2020. I'm a freelancer, and uh, I haven't really booked any work since mid-March. So it's been a long, long dry spell for me, guys. And wouldn't you know, out of the blue, I got a last-minute request to uh, drive to an undisclosed location in the middle of North Dakota, where I will, at a social distance, I will edit a video whilst in a hotel room for a client over the weekend. They want me there Sunday afternoon, and I'll return Tuesday afternoon. It's a little weekend gig. Yes. So um, the day before yesterday, Thursday... As a matter of fact, I had some errands to run. So I ran and got this and that at the grocery store. I ran and got this and that at a certain big box retailer for a little toothpaste, a little decongestant, that kind of stuff. And I returned to my residence and parked my Honda Element in front of my house at about 4 p.m. on Thursday. What color is your Honda Element? I would choose not to share that information. Roger that. Just to protect this podcast from the trolls. So uh, I park my car, and then I do not need my automobile until about 6 p.m. the 
following day, Friday. I have yet another errand to run, and this one is related to my uh, edit job that has finally broken the drought. So about 6 p.m., I get in my car to go pick up a computer monitor that I had loaned a close friend who's a teacher who needed that monitor more than me to... Oh, is that somebody I know? I don't think so. Okay, but C- there's carry some- on. I'm not interested then. Keep going. So I had loaned this person a uh, computer monitor that would come in handy for my remote operation in uh, North Dakota. When I got back into my car, I turned on the ignition, and it sounded like I had lit a jet engine. Whoa. It didn't even sound like there was something wrong with the muffler. It just sounded like there was nothing. Yeah. Like no muffler. It was just like... And that's not how your car normally sounds. Yeah, your polka and, dot um, pink Honda Element. Joel! The field is a dark purple, and it has fuchsia. It's not pink. They're fuchsia polka dots. It's a one of a kind. If it gets tagged, uh, your agent is going to have to pay my deductible. <laughs> okay, this story is already too long, but... <laughs> No, keep going. So it sounds like there's literally no muffler on my car anymore. Uh, And per a previous conversation with my mother of all people, she had mentioned that one of her neighbors said that their catalytic converter had gotten stolen. Yeah, that's not even on my radar. Like, I would even think about. So after I established that my car wasn't actually going to blow up and I retested the problem to make sure I wasn't deep into a REM sleep cycle, the first thing on my mind was that maybe this is what your car sounds like with no catalytic converter. So like any educated human being, I decided to cross-check my hunch by looking it up on YouTube. I typed in Honda Element catalytic converter, and I came across a video of a guy who runs a shop out in California, and he said, oh yeah, people like to steal the factory parts for the Hondas, especially the catalytic converters, because you can smelt them down and get about three to $400 of precious metal for them. Whoa, we have a Honda. And one of my coworkers has a Honda and had the catalytic (gasps) converter stolen. Whoa! It's trending. I don't know if it's trending on Twitter or not. I don't know if we should be disseminating this information, but go on. Please. All right. So this isn't even the funny part yet, guys. <laughs> okay. So the guy on YouTube showed you what a car with a missing catalytic converter looks like. It was two cutoff pipes okay. about a foot apart where there should be some structure. The thieves essentially like take something like a hacksaw or a sawzall and they just make a cut on one end of the pipe and make a cut on the other end of the pipe. And if yours is gone, if you look underneath your car, you probably have a similar situation. So I cross-referenced that and I found that, oh, hey, that's what my car looks like on the on the underside oh and let's face it i want to say on record that highway to heaven revisited is a pro black lives matter movement podcast and a lot of crazy stuff has been happening in Minneapolis. I live in a a part of South Minneapolis that was greatly affected. You know, it has nothing to do with the Black Lives Matter protests. There was a lot of damage that occurred in our city. You might have heard there were some riots. Yeah, there were some riots back there a month or two ago. Yes, there were some riots, and uh, all three of us at this table care very much about the point of view of the Black Lives Matter movement. We share that point of view and fully support civil protest. But in the wake of the riots, occurring in South Minneapolis, my particular residential block, like many residential blocks, established a group text chain for a neighborhood watch kind of monitor. So if anything weird was happening in the neighborhood, occasionally a neighbor will ping that chat group to, uh, you know, see if anybody heard the same thing.
thing or anything. So Mm -hmm. in the instance of my catalytic converter getting stolen, I thought, you know, this is a valid thing to tell some of my neighbors. Sure. So after I filed an online police report of the incident, I got on the group text chat for the neighborhood watch and said, hey, everybody, this is Sam. Just so you know, somebody nabbed my catalytic converter. Keep a lookout, everybody. All of these numbers on this text chat are essentially like anonymous phone numbers. But if you like scroll through the feed, you can kind of see like, oh, this person is named Jen. This guy is named Jim. And let's talk about this guy named Jim. So uh, Jim's contribution to this chat group is usually he's the one who's trying to make everything uh, a little funny. Okay. He's trying to put a little honey on it for everybody. While, you know, some moms are, are really concerned for the kids occasionally and stuff like that. Uh, And anyway, in response to me losing my catalytic converter, Jim said something to the tune of, I don't drive a Cadillac, so I don't have a problem. Oh, how'd how'd that land? (laughs) So then, as you know, uh, you guys are both iPhone users, and as you know, people can, uh, you know, like comments. And then you get another notification that, like, this anonymous number liked Jim's comment. This one said funny face. This one said like. I find that feature very annoying, truth be told. Yes. Agreed triple agree yeah so anyway i've got the notifications on sleep mode because jim's very consistently asinine in his comments whatever the scenario so sounds um, hilarious sounds like jim's not gonna listen to the podcast anymore but go on you know he needs to start his own podcast he's got a lot of material so uh a couple hours later i had seen jim's input which was null of helpfulness or concern, you have an option to thumbs down comments. Not only give them a thumbs Mm. up or a ha ha or an exclamation point, but you can also thumbs down comments. So I thumbs down his comment and then I thumbs down the couple notifications about people uh, thumbsing up up Jim. Actually, I forgot to mention that after I thumbs down his comments last night, Jim then offered a half-hearted apology. This wasn't to me. It was to the group at large. He said, hey man, I know everything's like really bad right now and like everything's awful but you know sometimes you just gotta stop for a minute take a breath smile and realize that it's just good to be alive heart emoji i love this gym guy and then i uh put my phone down and i give it a good hard think Uh all night long guys i started drafting my reply mentally and before i had enough coffee this morning to think otherwise i said hmm i got it i whipped out my phone got on that text chat and i said jim comma you're a prick (laughs) Period. Please do everyone a favor and keep your consistently asinine comments to yourself. This is a neighborhood watch text chat. If you want some laughs, go start a YouTube channel. Send. Okay. Yikes. So Jim's response was, whoa, that was incredibly aggressive. I will now limit my input on this text chat to only involve neighborhood concern slash crime. Period. I mean, you there got you what go. you wanted. I got what I wanted. Yeah. So then I uh, did not respond and deleted the text thread from my phone. How many people thumbsed up his response? At least one. I got a question mark and two thumbs down mm-hmm. for the shade I threw at Jim. So my question to you guys is, I sent an aggressive message, but really only on the scale of Minnesota passive aggressiveness. Because I think in Philly or New York City, San Francisco, 
Hollywood, California, places with even denser populations. I don't think that's very aggressive. I think uh, just laying down a little hard truth to make sure I'm not getting spammed with uh, Jim's comedy. Yeah, I mean, the response you had is definitely more of an outlier on the scale of responses that would occur in the Midwest. So, uh, listen, everybody, let us know uh, how aggressive you think my uh, text message was. You know, I'll take your opinion under consideration and move on with my life. Yeah, I mean, I definitely would have, like, complained about it to Joel, but I would not have responded. No, here, Jim, if you're listening, look, I used to be a real joker. You know, everybody chill out, you know? Let's let's lighten the mood with some levity. Why so serious? Here's the thing, though. There's the time and the place for it, Jim. Every moment isn't a place to joke around and lighten the levity. You don't call up 911 going like, hey, you guys stressed out? Don't worry, guys. Hey, is this 911? Is your refrigerator running? Here's the other thing about the thumbs and the emoji. I, I went from Android to iOS recently. And on Android, I kept getting these messages. Hey, someone liked what you said. And I was like, oh, man, well, I can't wait till I switch over to an Apple device and I'll stop getting these messages that say, hey, someone liked your thing. I just assumed they would show up like as little like thumbs and a counter. But no. Can people just stop sending thumbs up things to group chats? Yes. I can understand if it's a one-on-one thing and you don't have anything to say, like if Rachel texts me, pick up some milk, I can just click thumbs up. Cool. So if you're on a group chat, folks, there's more than just one person. Never, ever (laughs) use any of those thumbs up, down (laughs) add-ons. Agreed. Thank you for listening, Joel and Rachel, and thank you for listening there out in podcast land. Collectively, I think we've uh, we solved a lot of the world's problems here so far, so why don't we uh, keep along this trend and start talking about the episode of Highway to Heaven that's on the docket today. Well, we're not solving any problems with this one. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I, I'm going to lead with a little bit of a trigger warning. All right, please do. I mean, this is August 2020. We are in Minneapolis. The three of us do live right centralized in the midst of where all the turmoil started a couple months ago surrounding the murder of George Floyd. I don't know. I don't even want to get into it. This episode, I'm just going to give a lot of spoilers. It's from 1985, and it's about... African-American community in the inner city, a poor community. It's about a young African-American man who doesn't know how to read. His mother doesn't know how to read. And there's a lot of drug problems. Hmm. There's drug dealers. There's kids addicted to drugs. And they're all African-American. And then there's the white guys coming in. The, the as most... in Mark and Jonathan. But the thing that I really yes. thought watching it was like, this is... You don't need three white people telling you more about racism, but this is like what we grew up with as kids. And I think it's just Mm -hmm. really symptomatic of what culturally and myself included are really starting to wake up to over the past few years is that we have all these racist images in our Mm -hmm. heads. For example, short of the Cosby show, pretty much every time we saw African-Americans portrayed in media when I was growing up was in the context of inner city, drugs, poor, can't read, lacking, something's wrong, you Mm -hmm. know, and that's exactly exactly what this show is. So if you don't want to listen to this one, tune out now. Yes. We're going to talk about it, but... I know we made a commitment to do a podcast to uh, Highway to Heaven Revisited, but I think it's obvious to uh, anybody listening that this particular pocket of media that we've decided to explore is overtly the most literal interpretation of the white savior story. 
There's no bones about it. Michael Landon, the handsome white actor with the good haircut, is an actual angel sent from heaven. And uh, hopefully along the way, at least some of our point of view in our distillation of this media, you know, we're not... I think in a lot of ways, this show does deal strongly with social justice issues. But Absolutely, I, it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do think it falls prey to the time period it was made and certainly isn't told from a completely woke standpoint in any shape or form. Yeah, so, I mean, really just in advance, I, I want to acknowledge that we recognize that this show is problematic in many ways, but we're going to talk about it. So it's your choice if you want to stick around or tune out. Feel free to let us know what you think. Excellent. Thank you for your point of view, Joel and Rachel. So this is the 15th episode of Highway to Heaven Revisited. So we are talking about season one, episode 17 or 18. Is that correct? 17. All right. Season one, episode 17. Please, what is the title of this episode? As difficult as ABC. Oh, I joined you that time. Wanted to surprise you a little bit. I loved it. Yeah, it's not going to happen again. (laughs) All right. So as difficult as ABC. Well, you mentioned that this is uh, surrounding uh, school athletics. Did you say athletics? We do start in a gym. We have a basketball game. All right. So our universe is going to be a school. And, uh, well, I I don't know. Just tell me, where (laughs) do we begin? So interior of a school gym, and it's like adults, like young adults playing basketball. Yeah, it looks like a college campus. Yeah. And uh, we fade in. There's red and yellow jerseys running around. Like they're scrimmaging. They're just practicing. They have like their practice jerseys on. And a guy goes up for a layup. He lands, and uh, the camera pauses on him for a second. He kind of shakes his head. Then he goes to head back down the the field, the court. The court. Then he grabs his heart, and he falls down. Oh, no. And all the teammates run around him, and they're like, Brian, Brian. Brian, what's wrong? Then a player hops in. He's like, hey, give Brian some air. Somebody get the ambulance. Boom, hard cut. We're in a doctor's office. Yep, straight to the doctor's office. Okay. Brian, the basketball player who fell down, is sitting in the doctor's office, like, across a desk. It's one of those. Those, like doctor's offices I've only seen on TV I've never been in mm-hmm. where there's an actual desk and you're sitting across the desk from the doctor having a little conference and Brian is like shaking his head and he goes cardiac insufficiency cardiac insufficiency what does that mean in simple terms it means that your heart isn't getting all the blood it needs well, what do you do about this cardiac whatever depends on what causes the insufficiency treatment ranges from doing nothing to bypass surgery Bypass? You mean like they did with Arthur Ashe? Yeah. Oh, but not for you. If you follow my instructions, you should have a nice, healthy, normal life. <sighs> you scared me. You know how many pro scouts been out there watching me play? I'm a sense first pick in the pro draft. Not anymore, you're not. But you said... I said you could lead a normal life, but not as a pro basketball player. Do you know who Arthur Ashe is? Yes, uh, Arthur Ashe was a, a tennis star of the day. Correct. If I'm correct. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Also, For... unfortunately, I believe an early AIDS victim. Correct. Yeah, he was the first black player selected to be on the United States Davis Cup and the only black man ever to win the singles at Wimbledon. Rest in peace, Arthur Ashe. 
Yeah, he, he uh, made a difference. He was one of the earliest, probably well-known people to uh, be diagnosed with AIDS. He contracted HIV from a blood transfusion he received during heart bypass surgery. I think I first knew his name because he has said one of my favorite quotes that I've actually heard used recently. It's pretty frequently used, but the quote is, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. That's good. In researching the podcast, I found out the quote actually starts with, to achieve greatness, start where you are, use what you have. Do what you can. You know, Arthur Ashe's message is a lot better than the one I sent Jim today. <laughs> so now we're outside the candlestick school, and there's a sign that says literacy now. It's just the candle school. Oh. <laughs> but I like the candlestick school. I prefer candlestick as well. It's the candle school for literacy. So Mark and John walk into the school and uh, do their little uh, get us hired magic. You say you heard about this school from a friend? That's right. I don't see how that's possible. Mrs. Toma told me Mr. Maxwell only quit a few hours ago. Uh, well, perhaps Mr. Maxwell mentioned to my friend he was thinking about quitting. Oh. Well, you understand this is mostly janitorial work. Cleaning up, keeping the furnace going. Repairing windows. I'm afraid there's going to be a lot of that. And this woman who we find out her name is Julie, she actually plays it pretty straight. Yeah, Julie Reynolds. Julie played Reynolds. by uh, actress Deborah Lacey. That name is slightly familiar. She was on the Straight Outta Compton and Mad Men, as well as a Star Trek Deep Space Nine, playing the mother of Benjamin Sisko. I'm sure I've seen at least one of her appearances on that program, as well as her appearance on Mad Men, whatever it was. As well as a little-known show called Sliders. What? <laughs> yes, we did it, finally. I think this is the second Sliders cast member. In episode right. Summer of Love, season one, episode five as Sharon Brown, where the Sliders find themselves in a San Francisco where the summer of love never ended, and Wade and Rembrandt are mistaken for extraterrestrial prophets. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, just whoa. imagine a world, guys, where the hippie generation didn't settle down into their nice, comfortable, middle-class life and say, like, I think it feels like a good day to vote for Reagan. Let's protect our interests. I really like that idea, trickle down. And I think that'll work for us. We're not rich, but uh, if we put somebody rich in power, they'll probably make us rich too. Because that's how it works. We should probably watch that episode of Sliders, see what it's really like. Yeah, the future without a Reagan administration. Yeah. It'd be very interesting. So Mark and John, they're chatting with Julie. They need a janitor. They're like, oh, we heard about this job from a friend. And Julie says, I don't see how that's possible. Mr. Maxwell only quit a few hours ago. And I like that she was just very direct because it's not possible. And they just say something like, well, maybe Mr. Maxwell mentioned it to a friend that he was thinking about quitting, which is not a great answer, but she does buy it. I, I wouldn't buy that. So it is for janitorial work. And she says it's going to involve a lot of repairing windows. And they're like, why is is that and she's like well there's two things i'm fiercely against and that's ignorance and drugs this school the candle school is a special school it's to help teach those who the other schools never bothered to teach i tell my pupils no drugs you need all your brain if you're going to learn anything so because of this hardline stance on no drugs the drug dealers break their windows regularly. But she says her students don't do drugs, so it's a small price to pay. It's a quick little reference to the broken windows crime theory. Tell us a little bit more about that broken windows crime theory, Joel. Under the broken windows theory, an ordered and clean environment, one that's maintained, sends the signal that the area is monitored and that criminal behavior is not tolerated. 
Conversely, a disordered environment like broken windows, graffiti, excessive litter, it sends a signal that the area is not monitored and that criminal behavior has little risk of detection. There's a lot of assumptions and problems with this. (laughs) There certainly are. But, okay, so uh, just going back to the storyline of this particular episode, you know, a lot of schools I've seen out in the real world have a lot of windows. So if they've got some windows to mend, it's probably a lot, and it'll probably take a whole episode to fix them all. Well, the thing is, this actually, she does point out the job is only for one person. Did this friend of yours also tell you this job is only for one person? Oh, good. John here is working uh, next door at the settlement house. But my friend Mark here is just a magician at repairing windows. <laughs> okay. Mrs. Thomas should be back in about half an hour. She makes all the hiring decisions. I'm sure there won't be any problem, though. Oh, I'm sure there won't be. So Mark gets the job. Well, congratulations, Mark. You got another job that you won't get paid for by the end of the show. Because, again, it's going to take at least a month before your first paycheck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have to deduct the uniforms from it. And you're only going to be here for three days anyway. Right. So by the end, you're going to owe us money. (laughs) So anyway, the next scene, we're now back at the gym. And we see the coach, and the coach is yelling. But he's giving a pep talk, but it's like a shame-based pep talk. He's like, play ball or go home. I want to see some sweat. And then Brian, the basketball player from earlier in the episode, comes walking up to the coach. And he says, coach, can I talk to you? And the coach is just like brushing him off. He's like, Brian, I'm really busy right now. I don't have time. Brian's like, look, coach, you were never too busy when I was playing for the team, when I was like your star player. And then coach is like, oh, fine. All right. All right. Take a break, everybody. We can talk. But it was in the middle of practice. Brian did say he's been leaving messages. He's been calling and calling and coach Mm. hasn't gotten back to him. So I think maybe he was pushed to go where he knew he would be. So Brian's been having a hard time communicating exactly why he's been off the squad. Brian's like, man, coach, I thought we were close. I thought you cared about me. And the coach is like, look, I do. But with you off the team now, I have to start from scratch. You know, I'd set up the whole team around you. You were my star player. And Brian's like, is that all you care about? And the coach is like, well, yeah, I'm a coach. Wins and losses are kind of my job. That's the real world. Now I have you on a full scholarship and you can't play. That's one less kid I can recruit. Then Brian zings him with, well, coach, I'm sorry for not dying so that you could get your scholarship back. Ooh. (laughs) Nope. Now we are in a small apartment home, and there is a lady. She's an older grandmotherly type of woman wearing a dress and like a frilled apron, and she's pulling two loaves of bread out of the oven. We hear the door open, and she says, who's there? And we find out it's actually Brian's mom. So Brian's walking into the apartment, and he's carrying a suitcase with him. And he says, hi, mama. She asks him like- Mrs. Baldwin. Mrs. Baldwin. Played by the actress Bay Richards, prolific actress poet and playwright. Always ahead of her time, she defined herself as black when the term Negro was the preferred label for black Americans. She was in Guess Who Is Coming to Dinner, where she was nominated for an Oscar. That's a classic movie. Won an Emmy in Frank's Place. She was on The Practice. Got an Emmy for her role on The Practice. She was also on a show I really liked called Beauty and the Beast. Ooh. What did she? What was she on that show? I uh, like that show, too. I can't too. remember. I'm sorry. Oh. And Designing Women. She wasn't the Beast. No, right. 
Ron Perlman and Linda Hamilton, Beauty and yes. the Beast. That yes. was an incredibly odd show. I really liked that show. I'm pretty sure that was destination television in my household when I was growing up. My dad was bananas about Beauty and the Beast. And so was I. The guy lived in the sewer and he had a cat nose. It was crazy. And they banged on the pipes to talk. Yeah, over long they distance. did, didn't they? And then when uh, Ron Perlman would get upset, he'd be like, Yeah, I remember that. Kind of scary. I remember a really sad episode where he was telling Kirstie Alley about how he had killed his own mother in childbirth because he, like, cesareaned himself with his claws. T-M-I, Ron Perlman. T-M-I. I don't remember the origin story. So he was born a beast? Yeah. Okay. Okay, that can be the next <laughs> rewatch podcast. That's a podcast for another day. All right, so Brian has to move back in with his mom. Yeah, he is despondent. Tells his mom that he lost his scholarship. Brian's mom says they can't take away your scholarship because you can't play basketball. And Brian says they didn't take it away. I quit. I quit. Hmm, okay. She's like, you quit? He's like, yeah, I quit because I can't pass. And I was going to lose it anyway. But you have a B average. Why can't you pass? Someone else was taking the test for me. And she like doesn't believe him. And he's like, Mom, I got an A in French. Have you ever heard me speaking French? I've never even been in the class. And she's like, how long has this been going on? And of course, it's been going on since he started school. But now they're not going to do it anymore because he's not a star basketball player. So This part I really liked because there was like violins playing. The mom is in disbelief. And she starts crying and screaming out, this is a lie. Oh, dear. God in heaven. And I, I just wrote, what a great actress. <laughs> oh, dear God in heaven. <laughs> Ever since you was born, I said to myself, this boy is going to have an education. He's going <laughs> to... I'm sorry, Mama. Hey, it'll be all right. Uh-huh. Hey, I'll get a job. Hey, I'm still big stuff in this neighborhood. Uh-huh. It won't be tough finding work. <laughs> Wait and see. Pause for just a second. Before that very dramatic reaction, because mom is still a little confused. She's like, can't you just try harder? And then Brian drops the bombshell. I can't read. It is rather amazing that his character was able to get all the way into, you know, that far along in an education before it all broke down. But he just must have been that good of a basketball player that everyone was just willing to lie for him. And I think we do that a lot in our in our life with, with people. Oh, make allowances for this person. They're really, insert adjective. Yeah. It's worth it. Ignore Jim's texts. He gives the best back massages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we're really sticking it to Jim today. This is making me feel good, guys. Good. Glad we can help. <laughs> So what happens in the next scene? So we're outdoors on a basketball court, presumably at the community center. That's where Jonathan got a job. Jonathan is refereeing a group of teenagers playing basketball. Wearing all blue denim, a whistle around his neck, shirt unbuttoned, hair just big and luxurious. Just looking awesome. That whistle was a nice touch. I think it was on a leather lanyard too. Jersey, no basket. No way, man. If you got no eyes, he was blocking. He had position. I said, no basket. Red team out. I didn't charge. We see Brian standing on the sidelines watching. And Jonathan's like, ask him. He didn't only charge, he traveled. Played a game. Busted, kid. Yeah. And Jonathan's like, hey, thanks. Thanks, guy. 
Then we hear like a commotion going off screen. John looks over and he sees Julie. She's the school teacher. The teacher. She's being harassed by these gentlemen in, uh, one's in a leisure suit, one's wearing a fedora, and one is wearing a denim vest. The guy in the denim vest is actually Ving Rhames, uncredited. Amazing. How old do you, well, you know, obviously Ving Rhames still remains a very popular actor, most currently seen in the Mission Impossible film franchise. Looking at the footage, how old would you say Mr. Rhames is in this episode? 21, maybe? Young. Awesome. These three guys are hassling Julie. She's carrying a stack of books and they like knock her books down. John comes over and tells them to pick up her books. And then they say, oh, we got ourselves a real life hero here. What are you going to do about it, hero? It's like, this here is John Wayne (laughs) right here. Look, it's three to one. Mm -hmm. Your move. And then Brian walks up and says, it's three to two. And then they're like, ooh, looky, looky, the big basketball star is here. I hear you got a bad heart. You better back off. No, I got plenty of heart, Tyrone. You back off. And then Tyrone stares Brian down, and then he turns and leaves. And then Jonathan's like, hey, thanks again. Yep, and then they give uh, Julie her books back. And then- Julie's like, thank you both. And Brian's like, hey, uh, Julie, um... You go to state, right? He says, you're a teacher. You hardly look like you're out of college. And she's like, I'm still in college. I'm teaching for college credit. He finds out she goes to state and he's like, that's where I go too. And she's like, yeah, I know who you are. You're like the biggest basketball star on campus, Brian Reynolds. No, Brian. I don't know what his last name is. Her last name is Reynolds. Baldwin. Brian Baldwin. You're Brian Baldwin. Big man on campus, Brian Baldwin. I know who you are, but she's like got a little twinkle in her eye. Oh, excellent. I know you, Brian Baldwin. Was there a little chemistry between? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then they're like walking towards school that Julie teaches at, and we see Mark fixing a window. Yeah, he's using a screwdriver, and he's uh, he's like finished repairing a window on a door. Brian follows Julie into the building, and he asks her to dinner. Brian doesn't waste any time. No, Julie says, woo, you're... You're just as fast off the court as you are on it. <laughs> Sounds good to me. All right, 7 o'clock tonight. It's on, guys. There's like no games in this little romance. A little flirtation, but they're just like, you want to go out? Yeah, okay, cool. See you tonight. That's like how it is through the whole episode. It easy made, it breezy. made me chuckle. I'm a fan. I mean, it's not completely easy breezy, though. We're going to cut to their date, and they're at like a fancy restaurant, like white tablecloths, mm-hmm. wearing suits. She's wearing a dress, and they're staring at their menus. The waiter comes up to him and she orders a veal marsala with a salad and uh, I'll take the house dressing. High fructose French dressing please. So then Brian orders a steak medium rare. And the waiter's like whoa, which one sir? We have so many steaks on our menu and Brian opens up the menu and starts looking through it. But Brian can't read. He's like uh, our steaks are on the other page sir. Now the waiter's kind of a, like a dick and Brian's like fumbling but Julie is starting to figure it out she actually reaches over and takes the menu from him and starts looking at it Mm -hmm. and she's like oh brian i can see why you're having such a problem these all look so good how can you choose so she covers for him that's nice she says i hear the porterhouse is the best and brian's like yeah 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 me too I'll, i'll get that and then the same same salad and excuse me and then he excuses himself for a minute and brian walks off you know to the bathroom and I just wrote, Julie totally gets it. I mean, oh, she wow. does teach people how to read for a living. So, yeah. She's she, seen She's it. figured it out. It's really surreptitious that Brian would meet Julie 
Yeah, he really got pretty lucky on that front. Okay, so Brian goes into the bathroom, and he's just flop-sweating in the bathroom. He just needs to splash a little water on his face. I mean, not only is Julie into him, but she already knows. She already knows his secret. He doesn't know she knows yet. Okay. Well, he's definitely in the bathroom flop-sweating. Absolutely. We don't see that, but we can safely assume that that's what's happening. Hard cut. We're at a skyscraper. <laughs> okay. We've got a businessman talking with Brian. The businessman is all like, oh man, yeah, I'm sure you're, you know what, Brian, you're going to be great here at Sports Gear. A well known athlete like you, you'll be an asset to our sales team. Uh, but now, this heart problem, is that anything we really need to worry about? Like, no, no, doctor says I can live a normal life, but you're not going to see me on the court anytime soon. Oh, so we don't need to worry about you, you know, losing you to the pros? No, actually, that's the most disappointing part of the whole thing. Uh, thanks for uh, reminding me. I will not be on a professional basketball team. Thank you for making me tell you that. Well, I'd like to give you the job, Brian, but first we just got to do one thing and get it out of the way. We just got to take a quick little aptitude test. It's no big deal. It's just a formality. It'll take 10 minutes. Suits make us do this, you know? And Brian's like, uh, can I go to the bathroom before I take the test? That's his, like, default move. Can I go to the bathroom? Jock move. So Brian <laughs> Brian gets up and leaves. Brian, like, leaves the office, and he's leaving. He can't take he, the aptitude test. He's running test. down the hall. He's getting out of there. He runs, goes to an elevator, hitting the button. He wasn't going to the bathroom after all? No. Unless he wants to use the bathroom on the first floor. (laughs) Elevator door opens, he hops on. Guess who's in the elevator? Jonathan Smith. Of course. How you doing? Jonathan, right? Right. Yeah, it's a small world, isn't it? Yeah. Light flickers. Elevator stops. They're stuck in the elevator. Great. We're stuck. Uh, It'll probably start up again in a minute. It figures... This just ain't my day. That bad, huh? I just lost out of some kind of fine job. I had it, too. I was this close. And? Just lost out. What was the problem? Who knows? Hey, why why don't you check that emergency box? There might be some instructions written in there. Get us out of here a little quicker. What does it say? It says, read it yourself if you're in such a hurry. Brian, like, catches himself, and he's like, oh, I'm really sorry for snapping at you. This day is just, it's been a really bad day. And then Jonathan gets really serious, and Jonathan's like, it must be pretty frustrating not being able to read. And Brian's like, whoa, 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 I, what? I, I can read. And Jonathan's like, read the emergency instructions then. And then Brian's like, what do you even care? And Jonathan's right. like, you saved my skin. That makes you a friend. And then Brian says, for your friend, why don't you get this elevator moving? I wrote Jonathan pull of fawns. Jonathan basically like stands back and lifts up his fist and just like bam pounds on the elevator door. <sighs> elevator starts working again. Of course. That's the most garish use of angel magic. He never <laughs> actually uses a gesture. Yeah. He's never actually knocked on anything with his fist. No. And then after he does that, Jonathan says, it's amazing what you can accomplish if you want. He says, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you want it bad enough. Okay. Yeah, but you use magic, John. That's uh, really easy to say for a celestial being. Right? Highway to Heaven Revisited will return after a brief intermission. This is the intermission. It is happening right now. Please subscribe to Highway to Heaven Revisited wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you will never miss an episode. 
visit our website, highwaytoheavenrevisited.com, to listen to every episode of the podcast. While you are there, you will find links to our social media pages, contact information, and ways you can help support the show. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting Highway to Heaven Revisited on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash highway to heaven revisited to see the variety of special perks exclusive to patreon patrons is your company interested in sponsoring highway to heaven revisited please send an email to highway to heaven revisited at gmail.com sam has been waiting his whole life to read your ads on the show intermission is over all right, so what happens in the next scene, guys? We're walking near the school. Brian is wearing his suit. He gets approached by someone who we learn his name is Sticks. He's one of the gentlemen who was harassing Julie outside earlier. Yeah, when they knocked her books down. Sticks yells, hey, Brian, I heard you were back out on the streets. And Brian's like, what do you want, Sticks? Sticks is thinking that he and Brian might be able to talk about old times and maybe talk about how Brian's looking for some work. Because Sticks can always use a good man in business is what I hear, right? Sticks is always needing a good entrepreneurial partner. Uh, partner. And just in case there was any doubt, Brian says, dealing drugs. And Sticks is like, hey, don't knock it. It buys nice stuff. And Brian says, it buys nothing. You got no hope, no class, no life. Yeah, those are things that are important. And then Sticks is like, hey, lighten up. I was just trying to help our old buddy out. To which Brian says, we were never buddies. Well, I have no questions about where Brian stands on the subject of street drugs. Yeah, there's no beating around the bush here. Brian is not interested in this job offer. Sticks is not happy. Sticks has somebody waiting in the car and they open a door for him, slams the door, and they drive off. It's not in Brian's best interest to uh, join the uh, drug peddlers in the neighborhood because there would be some extracurricular throwing rocks through the uh, school windows and that's not going to bide well for his chances with Julie. Not at all. Yeah, so this is not an option. I really think it was just to introduce us to Sticks. Now, is Sticks the guy in the fedora? Yes. Ving Rames wasn't the guy in the fedora, obviously. No, we don't see Ving Rames again. Missed opportunity there, Mr. Landon. I hate to break it to you now, but that was a missed opportunity. Next scene, we are in an empty classroom. Julie is sitting at her desk grading papers. Brian walks in and goes up to her, and uh, he admits to her that he can't read. Hi. Hi. Come on in. I'm just finishing up. can't read. Do you want to learn? What? I said, do you want to learn? Lady, I just told you I can't read, and all you got to say is, do I want to learn? I mean, I'm a full-grown man. I can't read. Look at me. What do you see? I see a girl. A girl I like. And I just told her I can't read. Well, look again. In this room, I'm a teacher. And a good one. If you want to learn, you came to the right place. And then Brian says, well, could the lessons be private? Like, no kids around. She's like, yeah, you know, I could. But wait, no. 
You need to show courage to all the kids around here. To come into my classroom and learn alongside everybody else is an important first step. It takes a lot of courage. The rest of the students already know this. And when they see you right there beside them, they'll know that you know too. But your first lesson can be private. To show you what a friend I am, we'll do your first lesson privately right now. She makes a good point about continuing his role as a role model. And she says, you know what? You learn to read, then take me out to dinner. Mm. And he's like, yes, (laughs) ma'am. Uh, what do the kids say these days? I, I ship these guys. They're already I think, shipped. I think it's a safe bet at this point. Yeah. That ship has sailed. That ship is on the water. Now we're outside the school, and we see Mark with a hose. And he's spraying down the steps, cleaning them off. Then Brian walks up to Mark, and he says, Hey, thank your friend for me. Mark's like, huh, what? And he goes, no, 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 he'll know why. Just thank him. Just thank him. Then Mark looks off into the distance, and he's like, no, no, no. And then some kids run up, and they start throwing rocks at the window he'd fixed. That must be a pain. And then the kid Get runs it. away. Windows. Oh. Get it, guys? That's oh. like a classic gym joke right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I liked it when Jim said it better. Damn it, Jim. <laughs> So the rock-throwing kid turns and starts running away, but Jonathan is right there, and Jonathan catches him. (laughs) Does he uh, grab his fist with the rock inside and force him down, and you hear cracking noises? No, I think he has boundaries because he's like kind of a younger kid. Okay, Mm -hmm. as a magical celestial being, he doesn't assault children? He's shamed children and like encouraged them to run away and possibly given them chicken pox, but he hasn't like (laughs) physically hurt them yet. He waits until they're middle-aged, then he throws them into empty cardboard boxes. Yeah, we leave that up to God. Easy, son. Come on, take it easy. God, right, we got you. This one threw a rock to the window of the school. Yeah, right next to the one I just put in. Why'd you do it, little brother? I ain't your brother. I ain't nobody's brother. I'll tell you what you are. Stone. That's what the kid is, he's stoned. This does remind me of a very short story from my childhood. You remember around this time, 1984, 1985, 1986, this was the year that Goonies came out. Around that time. And we all remember that there are at least one or two Cindy Lauper tracks that are very hard slappers, as the kids say in the soundtrack. Girls Just Want to Have Fun and yes. uh, Good Love, I believe, are both featured in the Goonies soundtrack. Goonies are good enough for me. Yes. Go- yes. So maybe maybe it's that song. I was watching television at one of my grandmother's houses, and uh, we were watching some sort of program like Star Search or potentially the Oscar ceremony of that year. Maybe it was the Grammys of 1986. Anyway, Cindy Lauper is on the TV, and she sings one of her hit songs. I'm six or seven years old watching television and really... Really enjoying it. And after the song is over, I turn to my grandmother and I say, Oh man, I love Cindy Lauper. She is such a good singer. And my grandmother says, Yeah, well, it's too bad she's stoned. Whoa. And uh, I didn't really ask her what she meant by that at all. Yeah. But in my mind, I didn't really know that term at all. So I, I, I thought my grandmother was trying to imply that her body was made of stone. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. I wouldn't be like shocked if like this show is the first time I heard the word stoned. I don't have any memories like that. I yeah. like that though, because yeah, you like your little kid brain is gonna turn it into whatever you can closest think of, right? The only time I'd heard stone, I thought about like in the Bible, people being getting oh, stoned. No. Yeah, oh, yeah, no. yeah. Of course. That's totally where I heard of it first. Who am yeah. I kidding? I didn't follow up with any questions for my grandmother no. as to what the definition of that meant. I think I might have followed up with my parents later, and my parents were more than likely honest with me about what that meant and 
alleviated some of my uh, potential anxieties about being stoned. Will it happen? Like, if I'm a good enough rock and roll singer, will my body turn to stone? Yeah, I feel like I should have asked more of those questions when I was a kid instead of letting them just roll around in my brain constantly. In our next shot, we see Brian exiting just like a little neighborhood house. Yeah, a little white house, little chain link fence. We're on a city street. And Mark and Jonathan are waiting outside, and they ask, how's Terry? Terry's the kid who is stoned. And Mark is kind of going cop mode. He's like, how's Terry? You know, where do you get the stuff? And Brian starts talking about uh, how, you know, they all used to do drugs when they were younger. But he had a friend named Smoke, who's now dead. He overdosed his senior year. So Brian didn't do drugs. He tried to them. He and his friend Smoke tried them, but Brian didn't like it. Smoke but Smoke did. got hooked. Can't live around here and not get into drugs sometime. You live in this neighborhood, you're not into it. Hey, I've been through it. Me and my friend Cecil, we called him Smoke because you couldn't catch him. In high school, we was the, the dynamic duo. Butch and Sundance. I was good. He was better. At one point, we tried some dope after a game just to unwind. I was lucky I didn't like it. Smoke, he wasn't so lucky. Where is he now? He's dead. He died of an overdose in his senior year. Well, maybe you could do something to help the rest of the kids in this neighborhood. Like what? Every kid around here wants to play basketball like you do. They look up to you. So? So help them. Work with them, coach them. Let them know what drugs did to your friend Smoke, what drugs will do to them. What makes you think they'll listen? If one of them listens, you could save one life. How many people in this world can say they saved a human life? Other than me, of course, yeah. being a celestial being. Brian must be walking away or something. Do you remember at this point? Yeah, yeah he says, uh, I'll think about it. He walks off. And then Mark's like, that's a nice kid, that Brian. I wish the boss could fix his heart or something. And Jonathan's like... I think the boss has something bigger in mind for him than just basketball. Be patient, Baggins. Brian's story has yet to be told. Brian decides to take Jonathan up on his idea. And the next thing we see is Brian coaching a team of like little kids. Uh, junior high, middle school. They like him. The yeah. kids immediately are just gravitated towards him. He's a likable guy. You can see John kind of in the distance watching him and John's beaming. The Landon face is on full smirk. Yes. So Brian then has all the kids stop playing for a minute, has them do a little huddle. And he's like, you know what? Soon, if we keep this up, we'll be able to challenge the other neighborhood teams. But first, I want to let you know, I know a lot of people around here who tell you that dope will make you play better, but they're wrong. It clouds part of you. So I'm telling you not to do drugs. And if you see any dealers around here, tell them that this place is clean. If you want to play, you got to be clean. And when Brian says that, all the kids like sniff their armpits. They're like clowning like, oh, I'm clean. <laughs> and he's like, you're not that kind of clean. Classic prepubescent humor in full view here on the 17th episode of season one of Highway to Heaven. So Brian's doing a really good job coaching. John is beaming and proud and he goes up to Brian and he goes, man, you motivated those kids. You should think about doing this professionally. But Brian's like, man, I need a degree to do that. John's like, Julie tells me you're a real fast student. I don't know. It seems possible. All right. Well, I, I like the possibility of that career track yeah. for Brian. Seems that like a good great. choice, actually. Okay, so the next thing... They look over and they see oh, yeah. Terry playing basketball by himself. Terry's the kid who was stoned earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah. They both look at him, and then John whispers to Brian, if you could save one life. So Brian goes over to talk to Terry. Nice shot, brother. Told you, ain't your brother. Yeah, that's right, you did. 
be a great one, Terry. Yeah? Yeah. Let me play on your team? No. Why not? Because we have a clean team, no drugs. Hey, man, I don't take no drugs. That other day was the only time. Hey, don't try to jive me, little brother. I live in this neighborhood, too, remember? All right, I won't anymore if you let me play. You got to stop for yourself, not for me. What do you need that crap for anyway? You're an athlete. You got gifts. You got brains. Use them. You been going to school? No, school ain't for me. It's for the brainy ones like you. Like me, huh? Can you read? Yeah, sure. Well, I can't. Bull. I'm telling it straight. I'm learning, though. And I'm gonna keep on learning. We all got brains. We just have to use them. I'll make you a deal. You stay clean, you play for my team. And you go to school. That's all? Not quite. Something else I want from you. What's that? I want you to help me with my reading. You know, I don't think Brian has given himself enough credit as a human being for the capacity of his heart. This is a really courageous character here. I mean, yeah, I really liked Brian. He's done hiding his illiteracy. He's he's like he's this is willing me. to admit it if it if it's going to help somebody out. Yep, this is awesome. So then we get a nice basketball montage. There's some weird jazzy organ music with a little bass guitar riff going on as well. So we've got boom 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 Kind of sounded like Mr. Rogers' trolley music, but with a nice bass riff. I can hear something reminiscent of that in my mind. And we see Terry uh, slowly improving, starting to make some shots, coaching going on. The team's getting a little better and better. And then at the end, all of the kids jump on top of Brian and Joy. Awesome. Yeah, they're just, everybody's having fun. They're all laughing, having a good time. And then we're going to cut to Terry walking home after basketball practice. He's dribbling the basketball. When we hear a car screech to a halt. Terry starts running, comes to a fence in an alley, and he's trapped. Then uh, we see Tyrone, who is Styx's uh, henchman. henchman, grabs him, and he throws him into the car with Styx. Okay. Styx isn't too happy. No numbers are down. Yeah, because Terry stops dealing. And Terry's like, I don't want to deal anymore. I'm clean. And Styx is like, I don't want word to get out about people quitting dealing on me. And then we see Tyrone pull out a syringe. And they're like, we're going to take a ride and talk about this. Car pulls away, and there's just a shot of an abandoned basketball sitting in the alley. That's no good. It's going to get worse. These are really hard drugs. So I don't think it's marijuana. No. Next, we're in an alley with a cop car and a body bag. Guys, and come a on. Yeah, it's, uh, it's actually a 1978 Pontiac Catalina Safari. And on the side, it says County Coroner. Terry is dead. Oh. They killed Terry. Camera moves over past the body bag, past the Catalina Safari. And we see Brian standing there crying. John's there with a hand on his shoulder. Brian's like, ah, I'm going to kill Sticks for doing this. John says, you owe the kids more than that. Let the cops take care of Sticks. Brian's like, they better do their job. If they don't, then Sticks is mine. Hmm. And then Mark asks Jonathan if he has any ideas. John says, yeah, let's go shoot some pool. We're going to the pool hall next. All right, sounds like a good time for a little intimidating angel magic at the local pool hall. And a leather jacket. That's right. John is wearing a brown leather jacket and huge black plastic aviator sunglasses. Is this a first? I feel like this is the first appearance of sunglasses on Michael Landon's handsome face. I think so. I think so. It's like in um, Breaking Bad whenever... uh, Walter White turns into Heisenberg. All I could think to say was whenever Hal. I was going to say when Hal... (laughs) puts on his hat. Yeah, when Hal puts on his hat and turns into Walter White. 
And we see Tyrone is in the pool hall playing pool. John walks up and he pulls the eight ball off the table. That's against pool hall protocol. You don't yeah. touch the balls on the table while it's not your game. And even then you're not allowed to. Jonathan is trying to make a point here. He says, hey, I'm looking for sticks. And then Tyrone says to him, you'll be in trouble if you don't put that ball back where it belongs. Is this why they call him sticks? Because he's a pool shark? Oh, maybe. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I was thinking about it. It's like, well, why do they call him sticks? Maybe he's got uh, lanky limbs or... Uh, uh, maybe he's a drummer, or he likes the rock band Sticks from the 1970s. But I'd be willing to put a tiny amount of money, given that I'm down some money, given my car problems. Yes. But uh, I'd put a tiny bit of money on the origin of uh, Sticks' nickname is probably pool-related. Let's go with that. That makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, I, I kept like thinking it. the river Sticks. I didn't even think about it. I was just like, that's his name. You just get a name. So, yeah, he's trying to make a point. John's like, I want to talk to your top man. I want to talk to, you know... I want to talk to Sticks. I said I'm looking for Sticks. I want to make a buy. You want to make a buy, you deal with me. I'm not talking a couple of nickel bags here. I want to see the top man. Even more, he wants to make a big buy. He's looking to drop a lot of money, like half a mil, actually. And then, who's standing next to him but Mark? Mark opens up a briefcase and it's full of money. What? Just standing there in like his windbreaker and his little baseball cap, not looking any different than normal. Mark finally got paid for all the little two-day jobs. Yeah. Or does Michael Landon actually have the ability to create money, but only when trying to entrap a drug dealer in order to get his neighborhood-centric message across? Yeah, it looked like a lot of real money to me. I wonder if it was like a hologram or something. Does anybody try to reach out a hand and touch no. it? No. They're in the pool hall, so like I was kind of surprised Price, he just opened up the briefcase. It was like a fast, like open and close. Do you guys think Mark would have done well as a suitcase holder on a deal or no deal? Do you think he would have held his own up there with the uh, 69 other briefcases? I would like to see 69 Marks up there. It would also be funny if like the laugh track remained the same on the show where they acted like Mark was just as hot as all of those 20-year-old models in silver dresses that they used to have open the briefcase. That's true. Like if I there was all it. that cat calling in the audience. It's like, case number 22. I would hope there would still be catcalling, and they're not just catcalling because they're commenting on how the women's appearance in their little dresses. That'd make for a good comedy piece. Hey, do you think you can uh, start that up in After Effects, Joel? Can we Ooh. get a 69 marks? It'll only take you four or five years. Let's see what we can do. <laughs> we'll put that out after uh, season four of this podcast. Yes, that'll premiere. Half a mil. You give Sticks a message for me, okay? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Tell him meet me tonight at the candle school, 11 o'clock. We'll be inside. We'll deal there. Why the school? Because it's clean. No narcs will be checking it out. You don't deal with people you don't know. He doesn't deal with me. I go right to Cardelli. To who? John's like, if you don't deal with me, I'm going to go to Cardelli. Sounds Italian. Before he leaves, John grabs one of the balls off the pool table, throws it at three balls, and three balls bounce around and get sunk. I don't know if that qualifies as angel magic, but definite evidence of some real dexterity and marksmanship. Yeah, I mean, maybe Jonathan's just really good at pool. So the next thing we see, it's nighttime, and we're outside the candlestick school, and we see Brian and Julie leaving. Mm -hmm. And there's like a clock, and I can see that it's 1045. It's late. And Mark and Jonathan are sitting outside in their car waiting for Brian and 
and Julie to leave. And they're like, whoa, 1045. He must really want to leave. Or read. Read. <laughs> yeah. I thought Julie said there was going to be no more private lessons. They must have, uh, you know, know, revised their agreement. Yeah. Jonathan and Mark walk up to the building and Mark goes to open the door and he's like, it's locked. And Jonathan just looks at him and opens it. And he's kind of like, duh. Not for me. Jonathan tells Mark, go make that phone call. And then Tyrone and Styx pull up. Tyrone is suspicious. He's like, man, this guy knows Cardelli. He must be setting you up, man. This guy knows Cardelli, man. I don't care who he knows. Anybody dumb enough to walk around with half a meal on him deserves my attention. Yeah, yeah, he's dumb. He's dumb, but either he's setting you up, man. What do you mean he's setting me up? You don't think I got any blow in this case, do you? Empty. <laughs> we go burn him, Tyrone. <laughs> we got no drugs. We're just going to take his money. Quick cut to Brian and Julie. They're walking home. They're like, oh, let's go get pizza and bring it back to my place. Sounds good. And then Julie's like, oh, no, I left those test papers back in the school. I have to go get them. I have to grade them by tomorrow. And so Brian's like, OK. So they turn around and they walk back into the school. So pizza's on hold. Going back to school. So we kind of got a few things going on at once. They're going back into the school. Hard cut to in the school. The drug dealers and Jonathan are in a room. We see Tyrone pull a gun out. And he's like, let's see the money. And Mark opens up the briefcase, still full of money. Mark's like, you want to count it? And he's like, no, 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 I trust it. Mark says, now let's see the stuff. Tyrone opens up the bag. And there's nothing in the bag, which we already knew. So there's no drugs. But Tyrone's got his gun pulled out. And he's like, oops, must have picked up the wrong case and he just starts laughing and like slowly backing out of the room like laughing and backing out of the room have a good night now gentlemen and they leave okay and then mark's like come on we gotta go get them they're getting away old cop mark comes out Yep. Mm -hmm. and, and then we see tyrone and sticks in the hall and they're like i can't believe they were that dumb brian and lisa enter the building come face to face with tyrone and sticks there's enough of a distraction that they pause for a few seconds which gives enough time for the cops to show up here huh. come the the cops running into the school. Tyrone and Sticks run back into the school. Brian chases them and tackles them. Okay, well, I guess Mark and Jonathan called the cops, but other than a gun in their possession and some potentially holographic angel money, the cops don't really have <sighs> any oh. physical evidence to bust these guys. You have little faith, Sam. <laughs> you have little faith. Just hang on. The cops come in. Brian has tackled the guys. They're laying there. Cops come in and take over. The drug dealer immediately starts to try to blame Brian and then he's like no 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 open the briefcase open the briefcase there's yeah, nothing in we were there here to, we don't have anything man and he's like look look in the briefcase opens up the briefcase it's full of drugs <laughs> Okay. <laughs> that's not okay with me. Well in the drug Shame dealer's you, like Michael that's Landon. not my stuff. I tell you this ain't my stuff. It's those other dudes. Save it sticks. Read him his rights on the way down. Alright come on let's go. Come on let's move it. Come on move. Come on, let's go. Yeah, so they used angel magic to plant drugs on these inner city. Well, youth. let's just reinforce the uh, cultural norms of mass incarceration with our nationwide TV show. Let me just tell you posthumously, Michael Landon, that this will affect my personal Michael Landon factor for this episode. 
Shame on you. This is a problematic episode. It is. So the cops are taking the drug dealers who didn't have any drugs with them into custody. Brian and Lisa, like, look at each other and are kind of relieved. And Brian and Lisa hug. Cops tell them, hey, uh, you know, you two, you're going to have to come down and make a statement. And they're like, sure. All right, we're winding down here. Classroom scene. Brian is standing in front of high school students reading. He's reading a newspaper article out loud. Sticks Henderson. If convicted, could receive consecutive life sentences that will total over 100 years. We at the Tribune take our hats off to Brian Baldwin, a young man who has become a bigger star off the basketball court than he was on it. He is inspiration to this community. Wow. 100 years for two or three kilos of fake angel cocaine. And he says, you know, a lot of things have been written about me over the years, but this is the best. This is the best thing that I've ever read because I can read it myself. And then he goes, thank God for this school. Everyone goes up to congratulate him and like give him hugs. And they're all just like really happy. Julie looks around and we realize Mark and Jonathan are gone. So Julie goes out in the hallway looking for them. Coming into the school is Mrs. Baldwin. Brian's Brian's mom. Mrs. Baldwin. Did you see Mark and Jonathan? Uh, no, not a soul. And I've been here for about 10 minutes trying to get up the nerve to come in. What? I got a feeling I'm about to become your oldest pupil. Don't worry about it. I have a feeling your teacher may become your future daughter-in-law. <laughs> they hug, they walk back into the classroom together, the camera stays out in the hall, and the door closes. And pinned to the door is a little sign that says, don't be a dope, get high on learning. Roll credits. Wow. I have never been so happy while listening to you guys explain an episode and then immediately equally furious during the third act of an episode. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, I mean... Okay, we've done our best to uh, keep this podcast evergreen and uh, rather apolitical, but holy crap, guys. This is at the same time a rather touching tale with good characters about increasing literacy, about being a neighborhood role model, and then Michael Landon totally reinforces this horrendous issue that has only festered from this time period until the present day. Michael Landon essentially frames a person of color with a massive quantity of drugs. This hasn't aged well. This, Whether or not this was the original intent of this episode, I don't care. But this is really reinforcing this whole scourge of mass incarceration of people of color in the American prison system as a way to not only take away their right to vote, but also keep them locked up on offenses that people of Caucasian origins don't even get anywhere near the kind of sentencing through the American court system. Statistics have shown that people of color are been massively victimized by this over the last 40 years. Well, and it's like I stated a little bit at the top. It really is just an example of how culturally and systemically the media portrayed African Americans. Yeah, we can get into whole arguments about we know there's disparities in education and issues of equity, but that being said, this was a very common portrayal. You wouldn't you wouldn't see a white family portrayal 
portrayed as having trouble with drugs and being illiterate and having like a mother and a son who couldn't read. I mean, I'm sure there's some outlying example that can prove me wrong, but it really is just a picture of like, this is how the media was portraying a culture. Again, not 100%, but overall, and we just didn't even question it. I mean, we were little kids. This is what we grew up with. What bugs me is, so in the show Highway to Heaven, Jonathan Smith's character gets the stuff or gets his magical abilities when the boss lets him have it. Anytime he's done any sort of angel magic, it's been directed by God. Mm -hmm. In this instance, God is the one who plants the drugs on the drug dealers. Mm -hmm. And so it's like this like ordained, the ends justify the means kind of dangerous logic. Like all the cop shows show an unhinged police officer who's like, well, I'm going to, you know, we know these people are bad, but I'm going to have to bend the rules in order to bring them in. And as an audience member, we're all like, yeah, let's do that. But that works in the fictions we watch. But then when you think of that becoming the day-to-day life for people, when that becomes just like the mundane enterprise of people's nine-to-five jobs and all of society saying, good, do that, keep doing that, then it's just constant corruption. And everyone's saying, no, 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 it's fine because you're a good guy and you're bringing in the bad guys any way you can. Yeah. It's gross. This is a really disgusting use of angel magic. Putting away somebody for a hundred years. Getting them to show up at a school. Yeah, they've got a gun, but they have no drugs in the briefcase. But then magically when the cops show up, briefcase is full of drugs. Five kilos. Hundred years. Ugh. Yuck. Yeah, I'm glad this episode is done finally. Ooh, just one thing, quick. All right. Sticks, the main dealer. Sticks is played by actor Clinton Derricks. Clinton Derricks. Clinton Derricks is the twin brother to Slider's actor Cleveland Derricks, who plays one of the main characters, oh. Rembrandt Brown. Yes, of course. Yeah. Rembrandt Brown from Ooh, uh, Sliders. That's a good fact. I did not realize that Rembrandt Brown from Sliders was a twin. No. Have you watched a lot of Sliders? Because in season one, episode eight, the king is back in a world where Rembrandt was the king of rock and roll and where impersonators show homage through his fashion sense. The Sliders must team up with his double to save him from a crazy and jealous former bandmate. So the teacher and Rembrandt Brown's twin brother were both on Sliders? Correct. Whoa, that's a double-double. Also, Clinton Derricks was in another episode of Sliders, season two, episode 10, Great Fellas. In a world where Bugsy Siegel succeeded in establishing a gambling empire, Rembrandt is confused with his double on a world where alcohol prohibition was never repealed and gangs dominate society. He discovers his double is a federal agent. Wow. Wow. Jinx. And in season three, episode nine, (laughs) The Prince of Slides. After landing in an America ruled by a monarchy and where men have the babies, Rembrandt is mistaken for royalty and preps to give birth to the heir to the throne. And the final episode, season five, episode eight, Java Jive. In a world reminiscent of the Roaring Twenties, the Sliders confront Rembrandt's evil double, a crooked cop tied to gangsters dealing in bootleg coffee? I think this only proves that I didn't watch all of Sliders. I thought I caught all the episodes of that show, but clearly I did not because they milked Rembrandt Brown's twin brother concept for all it was worth. Indeed. That is amazing. 
All right, before we wrap it up today, I want to say out there to anyone listening, if you got some money, throw it at your local Black Lives Matter chapter or donate to the National Fund for the ACLU as well as the NAACP and uh, try to do your best to support local black-owned businesses in your own community. You might want to say, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. Well said, Rachel. That's not my takeaway, though. I have a different one. Yeah, let's start wrapping it up here, ladies and gentlemen. It is now time to discuss the moral of the story. For me today, the moral of the story was well, an obvious <laughs> one. Don't do drugs. And do your best not to do any potential drug dealers on school grounds with celestial beings. They will frame you and send you to jail for a hundred years. Did you just say try not to do any drug dealers on school grounds with celestial angel beings? I guess I did. You know, I, like I would that. also I like not that recommend moral. that. That would be, a, I assume, an yeah. additional indecent exposure charge to go along <laughs> with your hundred year incarceration sentence. That's a good one. What about you, Joel? What's the moral of the story? today you know i felt like i had it at one point but everything just got really overshadowed really the big thing is the way that brian uses his weakness and it becomes his strength so i guess the moral of this is the things that define you that run through your head as a weakness there is sometimes ways to parlay that into a strength well said. Rachel? Well, my takeaway is one line that stood out when I was watching it. When Brian is talking to his basketball team of junior hires, after he tells them that he's learning to read, he says, we all got brains, we just have to use them. And I think that's a good reminder for all of us that we all got brains, we just got to remember to use them. Think critically. Look at things in your life and in your world and use your good brain and try to think for yourself. I also agree with that. I'd like to add this has nothing to do with the moral of the story, but if there are any parents out there listening to this podcast, I assume you're all good people out there. But if you have a child in your life, when you tuck them into bed at night, read to them. That's the best thing you can do for a child is to read to them. Give them a head start. Give them the cornerstones of education that humans need to get by in this awful, awful world right now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's get to your favorite part. Let's talk about the Michael Landon factor of season one, episode 17, as difficult as ABC. Rachel, on a scale of one to 10 Landons, what is your Michael Landon factor score for today? I mean, I have to come in at a one out of 10 on this one. Just, Boom. just out of principle. I don't think it deserves a higher score. I'm not analyzing the magic that did or didn't happen. I just think uh, it needs a one out of 10. I support your decisions today, Rachel. It encapsulates my conflicted feelings about this episode as well. What do you think, Joel? Oh, the way the episode went, he has some good uh, angel one-liners, a little bit of uh, crutch kicking. I really liked when they uh, brought like the guy's weakness to light and said, all right, let's solve this. Mm -hmm. Like, Let's just bring the problem out to the table, put it on the table, and let's solve it. And up until the point where they framed the drug dealers so that they would get locked away for the rest of their human life, there was some really nice quirky angel magic. There was the fixing of the elevator. There was the opening of the door. Knocking all the balls into the pool table. Finally, we saw that Michael Landon, when trying to frame people of color, can produce money in a suitcase. Yeah. A suitcase full of money. Michael Landon can That's make true. angel money. I'm not going to give it a one because I can't forgive the first half of the episode, but the second half, God creating drugs to frame people and them going to jail for a hundred years. This doesn't seem right. I don't even think like, people who like, murdered people should go to jail for 30 years. Like, 
I'm a big fan of just reforming the prison system and changing the incarceration times. I mean, look, I was in basic training for 11 weeks and it changed my life. Mm-hmm. That was two and a half months. Yeah, 11 and weeks they, isn't a long time And at I all. did my other training for another two and a half months. So it was like six months of my life and it changed it in a huge way. And I came out a different person. The idea that we would throw anyone into a thing for years and we all pat each other on the back going, oh, yeah, good. we've cleaned up this street for a hundred years. No, you didn't. You know how much money it's going to cost to keep that person in jail? You know how much that money that could help the community? That could be put towards education, put towards community efforts to rehabilitate people, and also donated to legal groups that could help repeal drug-related sentences, especially of people of color, so that they get their right to vote as Americans back when they get out of jail. Three. All right. Okay. I respect that. I do too, Joel. And I I think we've uh, done our best today, everybody. Joel and Rachel, thank you for uh, putting up with my aggressive stance. But as we all know, according to Jim, I'm an incredibly aggressive person. Thank you for giving me the room to express my feelings with you today as friends. And Jim, if you're listening, eat a dick. So with that, this has been the 15th episode of your favorite watch-along podcast related to the classic and sometimes troubling 1980s television series, Highway to Heaven. This show is Highway to Heaven Revisited. We appreciate you listening. We'll see you next time. Eat a drawer for the dildos, Jim. Bye. Uh. (laughs) Bye, guys. Next time on Highway to Heaven Revisited. Why did you come back here? I thought it was time to end all this. To try and be like a father and daughter. I have no daughter. Mommy, is everything all right? He got worried. Everything is wonderful. What about grandfather? All worked out. I told you everything was going to be okay. If you want to help my daughter, I suggest you pray for her soul. It's more important, Reverend, that I pray for yours. Highway to Heaven Revisited is the galaxy's only podcast offering a comprehensive view of Michael Landon's classic 1980s television series, Highway to Heaven. Do you want to watch along with Rachel and Joel? Highway to Heaven is streaming almost anywhere. Check your favorite streaming platform to see if it is available. Please follow Highway to Heaven Revisited on Instagram. That's at Highway to Heaven Revisited. Do you have a question or comment for the hosts or moderator? Call the Hotline to Heaven. The number is 612-356-2495. That number again is 612-FLOW-BIZ-5. Your message might be played on the show. Or send the show an email at Highway to Heaven Revisited at gmail.com. Your message might be featured on the show. If you have time, please rate and review Highway to Heaven Revisited wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. Theme music composed by Brian Just. Thank you for listening, and be sure to join the gang for the next episode. Highway to Heaven Revisited is a Channel 3 TV production.